First John chapter four, verses seven through ten. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Grass withers, the flower fades, the Word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that as we look at this text, you would do a work in our hearts. As we focus on and think on your great love, God, there, is, there are not enough words in the English language for us to fully communicate the gravity of your love. So I ask that this morning, as we think on these verses, that you would do a supernatural work in our hearts giving us eyes to see the great love with which you love us, that our hearts would be broken before you, that we would come to you in repentance and in faith looking to Christ where we see your great love for us, that God, our souls would be caught up in your love for us and that our joy would be there. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we work our way through the Advent season, we are coming this week to the theme of love. We spoke on hope, we spoke on peace, and this week we have the theme of love. Um, When we speak of the themes of, of hope and peace, we're working on the ideas of what comes to us through the incarnation of Christ at Christmas. Because Jesus came to earth, lived and died we through repentance and faith can be reconciled to God and therefore we have true hope for the future that God will not ultimately disappoint His children. And we also have the ultimate objective peace, which we talked about last week. We have real objective peace, peace that comes to us not through circumstantial things, but the peace that comes, peace with God that comes to us through the work of Christ. So we've looked at hope comes to us when we we think about Christ being born as a baby and living the life we should have lived, dying the death that we deserve. We now, through repentance and faith, get hope. We finally, we have something to hope for and the hope of what Christ brings us. We have peace with God. These are things that the Advent season reminds us, comes to us through the birth and the life and the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This week, our theme is kind of a behind-the-scenes theme. So we have hope and peace come to us. This week, we're kind of taking a look, a peek behind the curtain as to why hope and peace would come to us. We're looking kind of behind the curtain. We know that the what of Christmas is the coming of our rescuer. The what of Christmas. What happens at Christmas? If you, do, if you ask your kids, you're going to be disappointed. They're probably going to say presents. What's the point of Christmas presents? No, no, we know better, right? The point of Christmas is the best present of all came. Jesus Christ was born. This is the what of Christmas, right? 
Anybody agree with me on that? Come on now. <laughs> okay. All right. Everyone else is like, I thought it was about presents, Darren. No, no, no. It's not. We sure we trade presents as a, as a symbol of the reality of the greatest gift of all that comes to us at Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. That's the what of, of Christmas. But this week, we're looking a little behind the scenes at the why of Christmas. Okay, so this is what happened, but why? Why did what happened happen? Why is this what happened? We know that we all dead in our trespasses and sins are by nature at war with God and deserving of His wrath. We in our natural state, we are not in good fellowship with God. We are not at peace with God. We are at war with Him. And what we see at Christmas is is that the, the Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Rescuer comes, lives the life that we all should have lived, earns our righteousness. And then not only that, He dies the death that we all deserve, absorbing the wrath of God upon the cross, so that through repentance and faith, we could be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to this God we've been at war with. We could have peace with God through a substitute, Jesus Christ lives as our substitute. It is on account of this work that now hope and peace becomes ours. This morning, again, we're talking about the why of all of that. Why would God do this? What would be a motivating factor to rescue those who were by their own sinful nature and by their own choice His enemies? Why? Why would God do this? And we've got to state this plainly. God does this because of His love. God does this because of His love. Listen, God loves you. Okay? This is revolutionary stuff here. Everyone don't settle down. God loves you. He does. And I want to talk about this for a second. What, what does it mean to you when you hear God loves you? It's become such a a refrain in some of our circles today and some of the ideas and some of the liberal theology out there. This idea, God loves everyone. God loves you. Such that when I say to you, hear me, God loves you, it barely even registers on our the Richter scale of our emotions, of our thoughts. God loves me? Well, of course God loves me. Yeah, I know God loves me. What does it do? God, when I say God loves you, what does it do to you? What, what does it stir up in you? I want to this morning stress this verse 10 of chapter 4 in our, in our text for this morning. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. But first, I think we need to address some misconceptions about what it means when we say God loves you. What does it mean that God loves you? So we've got this word love that is a really loaded term in our culture today. What does it even mean when we say God loves you? And there are some misconceptions that are out there about God loving you. For the, the macho guys out there, whatever, when we say God loves you, if we have an, a conception that the love of God is some sort of a romantic, gushy love, like God just wants to get a throw blanket and go sit on a couch by a fire and read a book with you and sip hot cocoa. A lot of us are like, I, I, there's one person I want to do that. I, I, I'm not interested in that. I don't want this romantic, gushy sort of God is gushing over you. God loves you. This romantic, gushy kind of love. Like the scene in Elf. Anybody watch Elf for Christmas? Does anybody else love the movie Elf? Will Ferrell? 
And, and he takes that big fuzzy hat and he says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. You know, and he throws it, you know. Like, that's what, when we say God loves you, it's like we picture God as elf somehow skipping down the streets because he's just in, he's, he's in love and doesn't care who knows it. This is not the kind of love that we're talking about. Not this gushy, romantic kind of love. You know the saying, I'm not a lover, I'm a fighter. Or I'm not, I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. Whatever you want to say that, you know. I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. That never really made a lot of sense to me. Because if you're a lover, if you truly do love, if you truly do love, it will require sometimes for you to fight. If you really love, it will require you to sometimes fight. If you love something, if you love someone, you will fight for them. And so you can say, I'm a lover, therefore I am a fighter. And I will go to war. I will take action. because Not because I'm not a lover, I'm a fighter, but because I am a lover. Because I do love, therefore I will fight. When we talk about God loves you, I don't want you to picture... Um, this long-haired, bell-bottomed, circle-rimmed glasses kind of God who just is all about love. I, I'm more like, I'm talking about kind of Braveheart kind of love. So I'm a Braveheart guy. I love the movie Braveheart. Like, that was the movie when I was in high school, late 90s. That, that, that Mel Gibson Braveheart. But no, no one knows Braveheart? <laughs> you guys are tough this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody knows Braveheart. But a guy who was just caught up in his love, yes, for his bride and for Scotland. He just, he was in, he was in love. And, and, and this love drove him to fight for the things he believed in. God loves you, and it is not this wimpy, gushy sort of, oh, just some gushing kind of love. It is a strong love that will fight, that will go to battle for the ones that he loves. This is the kind of love. So I'm going to tear down. That's, not, that's a misconception when I say God loves you. Not that kind of love. The second kind of love we often have a misconception is that God is in love with you. So we'd say God loves you, meaning something about like God is in love with you. Many times in our culture, when we say we love something, we mean we are in love with it. I'm in love with, you know, if like they have a TV show that comes on. I'm in love with, you know, this TV show. And what they mean is that in this moment, this is something I really care about and I really like. And so I'm in love with it. And in our culture, there's lots of things when we say we are in love. But sadly, when we profess that we love something, we're just meaning that we are presently in love with them. This is not the way that God loves. If we think of God's love as somehow just Him being in love with us, then it makes it very easy for God to all of a sudden be out of love with us. And what we have in a lot of relationships in our culture today is this weak idea of I'm in love with someone rather than the idea, no, I love someone. We have the idea of I'm in love. And what happens when you let being in love take the place of loving someone? When you let in love take the place of being in love with loving someone, then it becomes very easy to just say, I don't love that person. I'm out of love. I was in love and now I'm out of love. This is what is very in style today. But if, if you listen and take seriously our marriage vow, so a marriage is supposed to be this, this uh, co- covenant of love. When you listen to the marriage vows, they aren't, really a, they aren't a confession of a present feeling of being in love. 
We confess this. We say we are to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death do us part 66 years you said, of this marriage covenant of saying whether I feel in love or feel out of love, I covenant I love you. It is a declaration of not, I, I'll try to feel in love and I'll try not to feel out of love. It's a declaration of no. It's not a feeling of a present feeling, but a, a future promise. Not a present feeling, but a future promise, a reality. Not I feel in love with you. So when God says, when I say to you, God loves you, I don't mean for you to think, well, God feels in love with me right now. No, this is a declaration of love. Love for you, love for his people. This is the kind of love God has. It is not the gushy romantic love. It is not being in love. And God's love, the third misconception, God's love is not in some sort of response to his need for you to love him. And this just is kind of ingrained in us because the reality is love is reciprocated among us. And so when you work through junior high and you work through high school, you kind of start liking somebody and you, 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 gen, you kind of gradually up the terms. I like you. I like you a little more. I like you a little more. And so who's the first person to actually say, okay, I, I think I actually love you. And that's a real risk. And you hope the other person, and there's this kind of back and forth of, of I, I love you and I, and I really kind of need you to love me back. And my love for you because the minute you're in high school and that person decides, I don't like you, I don't love you, I don't really even like you that much, you know what happens? Your love disappears pretty quick. <laughs> Doesn't it? So, but God, God is not up in heaven needing our love. And so therefore, His love towards us is motivated out of some need to get love back. When you are the infinite creator God, nothing, nothing and you can, you've created everything down here, None of these finite things are going to add to your infinite perfections. Acts chapter uh, 18 or Acts chapter 17, verse 25, Paul speaking at the Areopagus at Mars Hill. He says, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God is not in heaven really hoping he can get someone to love him back. He, like, he just, I really, he doesn't, he's not in heaven alone. God and the perfect Trinity exist in fellowship from eternity past to eternity future. God does not need anything. His love for you is not motivated by some sort of need that you would love Him back. That is a misconception about God's love. We do not add anything back to God in our love for Him. He does not need from us. God's love is one-sided. He loves you, not because He really is up, up in heaven hoping you'll love Him back. He doesn't need that. He's satisfied in himself. His love is towards you freely, one way, without need, as though you fulfill him. So misconceptions, it's not gushy romantic love. It's not being in love. And it's not a love that's based upon this need for you to respond back to him. So these are some examples of what God's love is. And I feel like I need to get those out of the way because it comes with all sorts of baggage. When I say to you, God loves you. I don't mean he gushes over you. I don't mean all these other things. What then do I mean? Okay, Darren, that's enough with the name. This is what you don't mean. Let's talk about what you do mean. Well, let's look at our text. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And four things I want to draw out of this text of what it means that God loves you. 
there are four things I want to pull out of us that jump out of this text to us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. God's love is an initiating love. It is not that we loved Him. God, when I say God loves you, it isn't as though, well, you loved God and, and you thought, okay, I'm going to try to make God happy. And so he decided to set his affections on you. God's love is an initiating love. He takes the step. He comes to you. What we see loud and clear in the manger is not our ability to somehow get up to God to earn his love, but his initiating act to come to us. God's love is an initiating love. God is after you. When I say God loves you, He isn't sending out letters hoping you'll respond and come visit Him. God visited us. God came, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is born on this earth in initiating love, coming to us. He does not wait for us, Romans 5.8. God shows His love love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God's love is an initiating love. While you are far from Him, when you were not even born yet, God is initiating His love for you. He is going out of His way to rescue you because He loves you. God's love is an initiating love. For us to love God would be totally natural because we owe Him everything. We should love God. We should, and we don't. We fall short of this. But it would be totally natural for us to love God. He made everything. He set the, set the earth up. He put it on its rotation. He gives us life and breath and everything. It would make sense for us to love God. We owe Him everything. We fall short. We sin. We do not love God with everything. And yet still... God, having no reason because of our rebellion really to love us, initiates and loves us even while we were still sinners. When I say God loves you, I mean God's love for you is an initiating love. He is after you, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because He has set His love on you in the work of Christ. God's love is an initiating love. Spurgeon says, we never, this is Charles Spurgeon from his sermon on 1 John chapter 4, says, we never sent to Him, He sent to us. Suppose that after we had all sinned, we had fallen on our knees and cried importunately, Oh, Father, forgive us. Suppose that day after day we had been with many piteous tears and cries, supplicating and entreating forgiveness of God. It would be great love then that He should devise a way of pardoning, pardoning us. But no, it was the reverse. God sent an ambassador of peace to us. We sent no embassage to Him. Man turned his back on God and went farther and farther from Him and never thought of turning his face toward his best friend. It is not man that turns beggar to God for salvation. It is, if I may dare say it, as though the eternal God Himself did beg of His creatures to be saved. Jesus has not come into the world to be sought for, but to seek 
that which is lost. It all begins with him. God's love, what we see at the manger, is not, yea, us forsaking God. What we see is God coming after you. Because his love is an initiating love. We see that God's love, now we go on in verse 10 here, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent. He sent. God's love is an initiating love. God's love is an acting love. It is a love that does something. We sit at home many times and you talk about love for this or love for that or care for a certain person and and you have lots of abstract conversation about something that you love and care about. But how many times does our talk of love end in talk of love? God doesn't sit in heaven and talk about, boy, I really love those people. I really want something good for them. God's love is not just an initiating love, it is an acting love. God has done something. He sent. God loved, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He sent. God has acted. God's love is an acting love. We say we have love for our neighbor, yet how often does that love actually move us to do something for our neighbor? We say we have love for someone, yet when we hear of their trouble, do we actually stop what we are doing and even just pray for them? Do we make time to go visit? Thankfully, God's love is not like our love. God's love is an acting love. He sent. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. He is initiating. He sent. He's an acting God. His love is an acting love. And He sent His Son. God's love is a lavish love. God's love is not, um, they're not doing so well. Let me, uh, I'll give him a little step up. Let me send him a fresh set of clothes. Or, I'll, you know, I'll give him a pat on the back. Or maybe send him a, a, a hang in there card. You know, hang in there, guys. I feel real bad for you. Uh, I love you and care about you. And, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to send, um, here's a starlight mint. Here's something to, you know, have a piece of candy. God's, God's love is a lavish love. He initiates it. He acts. And when he sends, he sends his son. He sends the very best. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, His unique Son, His one and only, this unique member of the Trinity. God sends, God's love not only is initiating and acting, but when it acts, it sends the very best. It is a lavish love. God's love is a lavish love. God's love is a lavish love. It's what makes sense of Romans chapter 8 when, when Paul is finishing his argument there in this great chapter of Romans and he says that if God did not spare His own Son, how will He not freely also give us every good thing? If God did not spare His Son. So when I say God loves you, God's love is an initiating love. He is after you. God's love is an acting love. He has done something. And the thing that he has done is not just something. He has done his best. He has sent his son. He has sent his son. God's love is initiating. God's love is acting. God's love is lavish. And God's love is an accomplishing love. Not only does God initiate, not only does God act, not only does he send his very best, but God being the omnipotent, all-powerful God that he is, he actually accomplishes what he sets out to do. 
how many of us love and long to at times do something we find our loved ones in a position we really are incapable of, resolve, of solving for them. We really can't do anything. We offer prayer. We take them to the hospital. We, do, you know, we, we, want, we have all these things we want for them, but at the end of the day, we are not able to accomplish finally what we desire. God is not like this. God's love is an accomplishing love. He, he, sends, he sends His own Son into the world for what? So what? So that through to be, He sends His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What God sets out to do, He does. And what is it? To send His Son. I'll say it again. It's worth saying. To live the righteous life we all should have lived. To die the death that we deserve. Suffering our deserved wrath on the cross. Did Jesus die for His own sins? No, He had none. He died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins. So that through repentance and faith, trusting in this work of Christ on the cross, you could be forgiven of your sin, reconciled to God because you loved Him so much? No. Because He loves you. When I say God loves you, I, 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 don't, want, it's not some, I don't want it to be some catchphrase, God loves you. I want that to hit like a ton of bricks. God loves me. God loves you. He loves you with an initiating love. He loves you with a love that is full of action, sending His Son. He loves you with a lavish love. He sent His only begotten Son, and it's an accomplishing love. He loves you, and He sends His Son to take upon Himself the wrath that you deserve, earning your righteousness so that through faith in that work, you could be reconciled to this God, motivated behind the curtain on all of it, our Great worth? Sorry, no. Motivated behind all of it, His lavish, radical love for you. God loves you. So I say again, hear me, God loves you. I want you to hear that deep this morning. God loves you and did not wait for you to come to Him to work your own rescue. God loves you and His love moved Him into action. God loves you and He spared no expense in rescuing you. God loves you and in His infinite power accomplished the atonement you needed for the forgiveness of your sins, of our sins. The conclusion is only this. Will we repent and trust in this love for us? When you did not love Him, when we did not love Him, He loved us and pursued us by making a way for the forgiveness of our sins through the costly sacrifice of His own Son. Will we look at that costly act of love and yet treasure our sin instead? Will we look at this costly act of love and say, eh, I'd rather have my own trinkets. I'd rather have my own way. Will we look at this radical love and turn away? Let us not turn away. Let us look at this love bold in the face, repent of all of our other loves, look at this one true love. Repent and trust and rejoice in this love. Do not turn away. I plead with you. I plead with my own heart. Do not turn away. He loves you. He loves you. Are you loaded up with guilt this morning? Have you had a week that's been full of sin? It has, whether you think it has or not. In reality, it has. And you come this morning loaded 
with guilt. Do not leave for a second thinking you must earn his forgiveness, thinking you must make penance for your sin. I've got to go out and make God proud of me. I've got to go out and work hard so God will love me. Hear me. God loves you. God's love is an initiating love. It is an acting love. It is a lavish love. And it is an accomplishing love. Repent. Trust in Christ. Look to this great love and rejoice in what God has done for us in Christ. What God has done for us we see starting in the manger and accomplishing at the cross and in His resurrection. Look and rejoice in this love because He loves you. Let's pray. God, help us. My language is too puny to give the weight, the full weight and realization of your love. We ask for your help this morning. God, as we come to the communion table, we would look at it as what it is, a table declaring to us your great love for us. God, do the work in our hearts. Show us any sin. Show us the ways we turn from you, God. Convict us of those things that we would repent and throw those things aside and run to the one who is love. And run to the one who has shown his love, shown you, shown your love to us. God, help us. Draw us to yourself. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.